I heard a funny story this week. Um, it was about a, a man on an aeroplane. Maybe I was thinking about going on an aeroplane myself, but I, was, I heard about a man on an aeroplane sitting next to Einstein. Okay, and now Einstein was sat there thinking how, how clever he was. He was looking all smug. Uh, but this flight was a long flight, and so Einstein, Einstein turned to the man next to him and said, look, I think I am so clever. I think I've got so much knowledge that uh, if I'm going to ask you a question, if you get it wrong, you have to give me five pounds. Then you can ask me a question, and if I get it wrong, I will give you 500 pounds. And the man thinks, he looks things and says, that seems like a great deal. He says, yeah. He said, but you go first, he says to Einstein. So Einstein thinks for a second, and then he says, okay, um, what is the distance from the Earth to the moon? And the man like, oh. Like, oh, I've got no idea. So he takes out his wallet, he pulls out five pounds, and he gives it to Einstein. He says, I've got no idea. Uh, sorry. And Einstein says, great, now it's your turn. You've got to ask me something. And he's, he's looking all smug and clever. And the man thinks for a few seconds, and he says, okay, what goes up a hill on three legs and comes down a hill on four legs? And Einstein just kind of looks puzzled, and he starts to think. And for the next three hours on this flight, Einstein is, is racking his brain. He's trying to work out the answer to this, this question, this riddle. And eventually, he shakes his head and he pulls out his wallet and he gives the man 500 pounds. He says, he says you've got me. And the man takes the 500 pounds, puts it in his wallet and, and closes his eyes as if he's going to go to sleep. But Einstein says, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. You need to tell me the answer. You know, what, what goes up a hill on three legs and comes down a hill on four legs? And the man looks at Einstein takes out his wallet and gives him five pounds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's not one of mine. I heard that from Dom this week, uh, my brother. So you can blame him for that one. <laughs> uh, today we're going to be in uh, 1 Kings chapter 17. If you have your uh, Bibles with you, turn to 1 Kings 17. In fact, what I thought I would do, um, I may run over a couple of minutes. Is that all right today? I want, to, I want to read the whole of this chapter to you. I don't normally do that, but I feel like I want to give you a sense of uh, what we're looking at. So it's not going to be on the screen now. It'll be on the screen later when we unpack it, but I'm just going to read you the words as they are. So 1 Kings uh, chapter 17, we're introduced to this prophet Elijah. It says this, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kerith ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kerith ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I can have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. Surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home, do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. 
and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally he stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry. And the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child, carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know. Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. Okay, so we're in this series, Dream Builders. And it's a series all about releasing the potential of the church. This is the church that God had in mind. Right at the beginning of the book of Acts, when he sends his Holy Spirit to empower the church, God had a vision of what the church would look like. And as we look at that early church, we see how they were a people of, of great expectation, of great hope, of great faith, of, of big, big dreams. That's the church that God had in mind. And it's the church that Jesus was referring to when he said, I will build my church. I will build my church, Jesus said, and the gates of hell won't be able to stand against it. This is the church that God had in mind. And this series is all about the potential of the church. And as I was thinking about this this week, I was realizing actually that dreams, that we, dreams that we have, need, uh, uh, particularly about the church, need to be in proportion to the size of the one who's building the church. The thoughts and our imaginations and ideas we have about the future of the church need to be in proportion to the size of the one who's building the church. Now at the moment, I know Kevin and Nikki have got a bit of a building project going on at their home. They're building an extension. Now what they didn't do was go to Norman Foster. I don't know if you know who Norman Foster is. He's a great architect. Sorry? Have you really? Oh, man. This is a guy that designed Wembley Stadium. He designed the Gherkin in London, the Millennium Bridge, the HSBC building in Hong Kong, and Apple Park in California. He'd done massive projects and big skyscrapers. But Kevin wouldn't go to, uh, I've forgotten his name, Foster. And, go, sorry? Lord Norman Foster, thank you. Uh, thank you for correcting me there. Yeah, Kevin wouldn't go to him and say, look, can you build me an extension on my bungalow? Unless he wanted a 40-story extension, which the neighbours might have a problem with. But we need to have the right-sized dreams that are in proportion to the one who's building the church. The dreams for our future need to bear in mind that Jesus is going to build it. And last week we were talking about the importance of having a vision. Having a vision for the future. As Jesus followers, we believe that the dreams 
that we are building towards are God-given, right? That he gives us. He gives us visions. He gives us dreams. And today, I want to talk about the promises of God, but more than the promises, I want to talk about the, the process of the promise. Because it's all very well to have great dreams, but actually, it's all about the journey, really. It's all about the process that takes us to where our dreams lie. Uh, Andy Stanley is a great pastor, and I quote him quite a lot, and particularly this line, he says, it's direction, not intention, that determines our destination. It's direction, not intention. We can have the best intentions in the world. We can have the best dreams in the world. We can have the best destination in mind, but it's actually the direction of travel that we're going in will determine whether we end up there or not. The dream doesn't determine whether we end up there. The promise doesn't end, determine whether we end up there. It's the process. It's the journey that will determine whether we end up there. Now, there are many stories and many films that uh, kind of talk about journeys and, and have a journey at their heart. Uh, um, Homer's Odyssey uh, is one. The Pilgrim's Progress is a great book about a journey, a journey of faith. Uh, you've probably seen the film or read the book The Hobbit. It's another story or film about a journey. And The Lord of the Rings, I love Lord of the Rings. It's all about the journey. You see, it starts in this council, El, uh, the Council of Elrond, where you've got all these different kinds of characters there. You've got hobbits, and you've got dwarves, and you've got elves, and you've got kings, and you've got wizards. And they're, they're all gathered there, and they're all trying to work out what to do with this ring of power, this thing that they've got to get rid of. And they decide between them that they've got to take it to the land of Mordor, where they can throw it into Mount Doom, where it will be destroyed. And it's a great idea. It's a great destination. They've got, they've got this, this, this place to go to. But the, the story is all about the journey. It's all about what happens on the way. And we know that on the way, the, these characters, they bond. They become a fellowship. They all bring their own gifts, their own talents, their own uh, backgrounds, who they are, into the mix. And together, they achieve something great. But it's all about the journey to getting where they've got to go. Uh, last few nights, uh, Fru's been having some disturbed uh, sleeps some disturbed nights and she'd been shouting out she'd been shouting out words like Mordor and Gandalf and Bilbo and Gollum and when she woke up I said to her you're Tolkien in your sleep <laughs> no that was one of mine and I know I shouldn't have done it yeah it's bad the truth is that I'm just making sure you're awake that's all okay you're still with me being a dream builder being a dream builder is not just about claiming a God-given promise. Yes. Promises are great. But I wonder if we, if we put too much stock. Obviously, we love to listen to the promises of God. But the promises of God are only part of the picture. The process towards the promise is something that God calls us to walk. The journey is the point. Now... As a kind of a bit of an experiment, as an example, I have put this morning an envelope under one of the chairs here. I've stuck it to the bottom. Can you guess which chair I have put it under? If the person, if you would all like to reach under your chair and see if you've got an envelope underneath it. Um, because, because the process, the journey is everything. The journey is everything. And we know that journeys 
can be filled with mountains and valleys. They can be filled with great things and challenges. Can't they? Journeys can be easy at part, and they can be difficult in part. Yay, well done. Here you go. Alina? There you go. Already. There you go. Uh huh. There you go. So, on the note, I wrote if you come and high five me, I will give you £10. That was the promise. But the promise doesn't mean anything unless somebody sat in the flipping chair. All right? <laughs> the promise doesn't mean anything until she makes the journey and high fives me, does what I instructed her to do. And then she receives the blessing of the promise. But there has to be a process. You've got to go through the process. And we all know that when we're, when we're on a journey, when we're moving from A to B, when we're heading towards our dream, sometimes there can be valleys, it can be challenging, it can be difficult, there can be battles. Because Jesus didn't promise us that the Christian life would be a cakewalk, did he? He said, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. Being a Christian doesn't change that. But then he says, take heart, I have overcome the world. Because he promises to be with us. We were just singing it, weren't we? Uh, as, uh, in the fire, in the water, he's with us. So I'll count the joy come every battle. Now we're all at different points along the process towards a promise, towards a dream. And I don't know where you are. Maybe you're at the point we talked about last week where you're just simply asking God for a vision. You're asking God for a dream. You're asking God to give you an idea, to, to release thoughts into your parietal lobe we looked at last week. Remember? Where our imagination resides. Maybe you're asking God to give you a sense of the future. And that's great. Or maybe you've got a dream. Maybe you've got a sense of where you need to end up. And you're starting the journey towards that, the process. Or maybe you've been on the process and, and right now you find yourselves in a valley and you're beginning to doubt because that's what happens when we hit those valleys. It's so easy to doubt, isn't it? So to doubt ourselves or to maybe God, did God really say this is where I should end up? Did God really say that? Because the route that I feel like I'm going on right now, it doesn't feel like it's taking me in the right direction. Don't give up. Don't give up if things are difficult. Remain in me, Jesus says, and let my words, my truth, Remain in you. Remain in me. Fortunately, the Bible has got a lot to say about promises and the process. Uh, first of all, um, in the Old Testament, actually, some, somebody have a Bible with them? Anybody have a Bible? Can you turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 4? Daniel, can you? Yeah, that'd be good. Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. It's only this one verse. Uh, can you read that verse out, please? Yeah. This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. That's verse 4, is it? Genesis 2? Genesis 2, verse 4. Oh, okay. the creations of the heavens and of the earth, when they were created in the day that the Lord brought the earth and the Yeah. There it is. There it is. It wasn't me. It was you. Okay. Okay. Read it again. Read it again. The whole verse. The whole verse, Daniel. All right. 
Great, that's perfect. So what do you notice about the word Lord in that? It's capitalized, all right? So in your Bibles, which in pretty much every single translation, uh, often when you see the word Lord, particularly in the Old Testament, you'll find it capitalized. And that's because this word, uh, it's an important word for Lord. It's an important name of God. It's the translation of the word Yahweh. Yahweh. Now you find it in the Old Testament about 6,800 times. It's in every single book of the Bible, apart from, I think, three. This word, Lord, and it's capitalized, and it's Yahweh. And, you know, this word it has so much power in it, people, uh, we, we, they, certainly the Jews thought and people realized. When scribes were writing out the Bible, whenever they would write this word, they would immediately throw away that pen after they'd written it and get another pen. They, they considered this word so, so important, the word Yahweh, where it's Lord in your Bible and it's capitalized. And the word Yahweh has, has a number of meanings, and one of the meanings is covenant keeper. God is a promise keeper. And this is really important. God, if he says it, he will do it. And we can, we can hold on to that. If he has called us to a promise and we're working towards it, no matter what is going on in the process, on the journey, he is a promise keeper. And that's great for us to know, isn't it? But again, that's not the end of the story. Uh, you all know the story of, of Noah, right? You know, he received a promise from God that he and his family would be saved in a coming catastrophe. Uh, God was going to flood the world, but Noah and the eight of them, his family, were going to be saved. That was the promise. What a great promise. But there was a process for Noah to walk through. He had to spend the next hundred years or so kind of building, kind of getting blisters, hitting his thumb with his hammer, collecting wood, facing ridicule of the people round about who were saying, you're building a boat in a desert. It's never rained here. What on earth are you doing, Noah? For decades and decades and decades, he had to keep following the process. What about Abraham? We know he received a promise. God said, look up at the stars. Count the stars. This is, this is how your descendants are going to be numbered. And this was when Abraham had no children. This was the promise. What a great promise. But then there was a process for Abraham. He had to trust for the next 25 years. He had to have faith that what God had said was true. And he had to do something about it. I'm not going to go into any detail, but he had to sleep with his wife. You can imagine it. Tonight might be the night, Sarah. Who knows? 25 years. And then when he received the promise, he had to be willing to sacrifice his son. Man, that's a process. And then we've got Joseph. We know that his promise was received in the form of a dream. Uh, he, he dreamt that he would be an influential, powerful man and his family would one day bow down to him. Great promise. But then there was a process for him to go through. He had to, uh, his brothers sold him into slavery. He worked for Potiphar in Egypt. And then he spent 20 years in prison for something, a crime that he didn't actually do before he saw the fulfillment of the promise. There was a process. Moses Joshua, well, Joshua, we looked at last week. Joshua, uh, God said, you will be the one who will lead my people into the promised land. <laughs> Lovely. Let's do it. Let's go. All right. The process is you're going to be fighting for the rest of your life. You're going to be fighting all these tribes, all these peoples, until you die, in order to see the result of that promise. David, he was a teenager when Samuel anointed him as the next king of Israel. That's a great promise. 
But then he's got to face giants. He's got to face Saul. He's got to face the king. An army's going to be uh, accused of treason. He's going to be an outcast. He's going to be hiding in caves for a long, long time before he sees the fulfillment of that. Uh, Nehemiah's there. Paul, we know that Paul, the apostle Paul, God said to him, you will be my witness to the Gentiles and you will be my witness in Rome. Paul himself talks about the process in Corinthians. What does Paul say? He says, I've been in prison that often. I've been flogged. I've been beaten. I've been whipped. I've been stoned. I've been hungry. I've been thirsty. I've been cold. I've been faced persecution from Jews, from Gentiles. And to top it all, I've got a thorn in my flesh that God says he won't take away. This is the process. And every promise of God, every dream of God comes with a process. God gives the promise and he leads us through the process because he is more interested in our character that is developed in the process than he is in the comfort that we get at the end of the promise when we receive the dream. All right, so and then Elijah, and this is where we're going to uh, focus the last remaining bit of our time. Elijah. So we've read that whole passage. It's the first time we come across Elijah in the Bible. I want to give you three keys today to help us as we navigate the process uh, of uh, going towards the promise. So uh, Elijah's received the promise that there's a drought coming and that God is going to look after him and keep him safe during this drought. So the first thing that um, Elijah has to do is remain obedient. All right, and this is for us to, we have to remain obedient. Um, what does he say? In 1 Kings chapter 17, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, Turn eastward, hide in the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He was obedient. He went to the Kerith ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. He was obedient. But then we read that sometime later the brook dries up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed the widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. He was obedient to the word of the Lord. And sometimes we have to remain obedient even when the process just doesn't feel great. Even when it feels almost counterintuitive to the promise. I was thinking about this and I looked up some of these words. Kerith Ravine, where God sent Elijah first of all, actually means perish. It means perish. So God, there's a drought and you're sending me to a place called perish to live. That's just brilliant, right? And sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it? We're on the process towards the dream and we've been going through something. God, is this really right? You're sending me to a place called Perish, where ravens, scavengers, actually they're symbols of death, are going to look after me, keep me alive. And then God says, go to Zarephath. Well, Zarephath is another great word. It means smelting place. It means place of testing, a place of refinement. Brilliant. So I'm moving from a place of perish to a place of testing. And this is what Elijah has to go through on his journey towards the promise. Testing. I spoke that verse earlier from James. Consider it pure joy when you face the trials of many kinds because the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so you'll be complete, lacking nothing. Because God's testing us not to catch us out, 
Actually, that word test is also the word prove. He's proving our faith. He's not trying to catch our faith out. He's saying, look what you've got in you. Look at me in you. Let's prove what you can do with me. Let's prove it, what you can face with me. That's why we consider it joy when we face those battles. We have to remain obedient. We read that the widow is obedient too. Because Elijah tells her she's about to die. And Elijah says, no, no, before you make some bread for yourself, give me a piece of bread. And what she says, she went away and did as Elijah told her. And then the result, there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up. And the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word spoken by Elijah. In keeping with the word of the promise keeper. God is the promise keeper. We need to remain obedient. Some of you know the the process that Fru and I went to in actually moving down to Ferndown. It was in uh, summer of 2015 that we we had a word from God. It was a promise from God. And the word said, um, prepare for leadership. That was it. Prepare for leadership. And so in 2015, we were obedient to that. Fru began a master's degree in Christian leadership. That's that year. And I went and started my ministerial accreditation and started, we started to take up leadership opportunities in the church we were in back then. We were living in southeast London at the time. But God said, prepare for leadership. And we felt that he also said that it would be a two-year process. And so we did. And it wasn't always easy. At times we felt like, is this really, is this really what God has said? Sometimes it was expensive. Sometimes it, it took a lot out of, out of our family to do that, but we were obedient to the word. All right, the second thing we need to do or be is remain connected. We need to remain obedient. We need to remain connected because getting the promise is great. Hearing a word from God about our future, that's amazing, but it's just the start. In order to get through the process, we have to stay connected to God. We have to be continually reading the word, continually praying and listening, continually praising. We know that uh, God uh, resides, he inhabits the praises of his people. And this is where we, our connection to God becomes more secure. When we read the word, when we pray, when we praise regularly, we have to stay connected. Five times in this chapter, five times God gives Elijah a word. God doesn't say, here's the promise, I'll see you at the end. He said, here's the promise, now let's navigate together. Let's work our way through this process together because I'm going to be with you. And you need to stay connected so that you know when God is calling you. That voice behind you that says, do not move to the right, do not move to the left, keep going. When God reveals his plan to us, it's incredible and as we follow the process towards God's promise we need to remain connected we need to remain listening so that we can follow God's plans instead of our own I have to say that when Fru and I um, were in this two-year period there there were moments when I strayed when I strayed when I stopped listening and started to do things in my own strength because God had said, prepare for leadership. And that's, but me, I'm more of a, I'm more a proactive God. So I started to look for leadership opportunities, 
and started to, oh, church, looking for a leader. Let me, let me see if I can find somewhere for us. And, it, you know, and different people around me and the word of God and God spoke and kept saying, what have I told you to do? Have I told you to do that? No. Prepare for leadership. That's what I've said. And it's keeping me in line, keeping us on the path. We need to read the word. We also need to stay in fellowship because actually we get wisdom when we're in community. There are people around us who will guide us and help us and show us maybe when we're drifting. All right, so we need to uh, remain obedient, remain connected. Third thing is we need to remain hopeful. We need to have hope. We need to hold on to hope. And this is especially hard when we're walking through a valley, we begin to, when we start to doubt ourselves, when we begin to doubt God's promise to us, when we begin to doubt his word to us. Did he really say that? Am I really heading the right way? Is my dream really the right dream? When we're going through difficult times, it's so easy to lose hope. And Elijah and the widow and the son, well, they've been living in God's miraculous promise, haven't they? They've been this oil that hasn't run out and this flour that hasn't run out. They eat, every mouthful that they eat of the bread is a reminder of God's provision and God's providence and God's blessing and God's mir- miraculous um, kind of promise. And then sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. What would our reaction be? What is our reaction when, when trouble hits us? I know I'm not always, I don't always find my faith in that moment. The widow, she says this. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? It's an understandable question. It's an understandable response. I thought God had us. I thought God said he was going to look after us. And yet this is going on right now. What's happened? And if you're working your way through a, pro- through a process and you're finding yourselves in a valley, I would encourage you to stay hopeful. Stay hopeful. Hold on. Be of good courage. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. Stay hopeful. He's got this. And we know what happens. Elijah takes the boy, lays him on the bed and cries out to God. And reading between the lines, nothing happens. And so then Elijah lies on the boy and nothing happens. So he does it again and again and nothing happens. And then again, he cries out to God and he says, God, bring life back to this boy. And at that moment, the breath returns to the boy. Sometimes we just have to persevere in prayer. The Bible tells us that in order to bring us through the other side. The Lord heard Elijah's cry. The boy's life returned to him and he lived. Then the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. It's just interesting, isn't it? That for however long, maybe two years, they've been eating this bread. This, they've had a jar of flour that hasn't run out. They've had a, ju- a jug of oil that hasn't run out. And suddenly she says, ah, now I know. Now I know. Because actually, and this is the truth of this, our faith is built far more in the valleys. Our relationship with God is built far more. We know God much better in the valley when we're crying out to him, when we come to the end of ourselves, and we come to the start of God. 
Now I know. And it's often only when we look back, when we've reached the promise and we look back at where we've come, that we suddenly see, and it makes sense. I see the process. I see what you've brought me through, God, and I see what you've developed in me. I see the journey that you've brought me on. Back to my Nefru story. We were obedient. We stayed connected. And then God gave us the next step of the process, the home straight, actually, towards his promise. We were invited to come and plant a church here in Ferndown. And it was a miraculous opportunity. I'll tell you about it sometime. It was an absolute miracle uh, to come and plant a church in Ferndale in the Barrington. And, and it was as we neared the promise, we were, all, we were feeling so good about it. And then we were going to move from London to Ferndale. And we just couldn't sell our house. And it was like really tricky for months and months. We couldn't sell a house. And we found a house that we, we were sure was the right house. We were certain this is the perfect house for us here in Ferndown. And we put an offer in. They accepted the offer that we put in. Yes, God is on this. He's dealing with this. <laughs> you know what happens. We lost that house because we didn't sell our own house. And at that point, we're going, God, we don't understand. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. You've, you've called us this. Everything has led up to this. And now it feels like nothing's working. We have to hold on to hope in those moments. And looking back now, we can see what God was doing. And the house we've got now is just infinitely better than the house we thought was the perfect house. Because God had a plan. What does it say? In the book of Romans, Romans 8, we know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. In all things. We can't always see it when we're in it. But we, will, we need to have faith that we will see it at the end. That we will see it at the end. Those who are moving in the promises and purposes and plans and processes of God will never find themselves moving backwards or in the wrong place. Even if it feels like a misstep, you'll be in the right place. Even if we can't immediately see it. So we need to remain obedient. We need to remain connected. We need to remain hopeful. If we want to be dream builders, we've got to dream. And we can dream big dreams, but we've also got to build. We've got to walk the journey towards the dreams. And when the church dreams and then begins to build according to God's design, God's plans are inevitable. Nothing in this world can stop them. Nothing can stop his plans. And God has called us to this community to be a support for one another. Just like you prayed, Lou, to be a help for one another. In fact, I was preparing this message and I was praying and I said to God, God, I want you to give me a promise. to give me a promise for this church and he did he led me to the book of Nehemiah you all know what happens in the book of Nehemiah Nehemiah is one of the exiled Jews he's in uh, Babylon and, and he hears that the walls have been to torn down and he gets permission to come back and help rebuild the walls and he, and he He gathers the people. And together, in the space of, I think it's 52 days, they rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. They give it strength. They give it foundation. 
They make it a place to come back to. And in verse 4 of chapter 7 of Nehemiah, it says this. Now, the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it. And the houses had not yet been built. And I feel like God was saying, where you, what you've been doing, you've been building the wall. You've been creating a spacious city. When we first came to Ferndown, we looked at the, we looked at the area. We looked at the um, census of the area from the most recent census then. And we saw that I think it was 80% of the people in Ferndown put themselves down on that census as Christian. And yet we know that not, you know, very few of those people are actively, have an active faith, have a, have a personal relationship with God. And so when we can, we thought, these are the people we need to reach. If you like, they're the exiles. They're people who have moved away maybe as a family from church. And we need to reach them and bring them back. And I feel like God is saying, you're creating a church that's, that's large and spacious, that's, that's got strength, that's got a foundation. And we're ready for people to come back in and inhabit this again. It's a great promise. But he's not just going to drop us in it. We have to walk the process of getting to that. And this is what we're doing. So I guess my, my word today, my challenge today is seek God, ask him, what is my part in this? What is my part in this great dream, in this great promise? How can I walk this process towards what you're calling us to be? Amen? Oh, I'm done. Let me just pray for us and then we're going to finish. Lord God. We thank you for your word. We know that it is truth and sometimes we forget and we want to say sorry for those times when we don't trust, where we, we lose our hope. God, I pray that you would strengthen us, that your Holy Spirit would be our comfort, but it would also be our challenge, that it would also guide us into, into your future, into your plans, into, into the way that you're building your church, God. Help us to remain obedient, to stay connected, and to be hopeful about everything that we're going through and the future of this church, Jesus. We give it to you. Lord, be glorified in everything that takes place in this place. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.